for my wife and I, we're going over the, to the teen class. Yes, they've asked us to speak to the teens tonight, so um, we'll see what happens there. So, but uh, looking forward to Joel again. Amen. I'm not sure if I should go with you or looking out here. There's some folks just kind of, do you have a smile in there somewhere? It makes you nervous when you're up here and everybody's growling, you know. All right, book of Joel, chapter 1. Let's continue to get into it. Uh, this is an, I, just really an exciting study as you get in. Uh, we're going to be talking about no worship, no provisions, no production, no joy. I mean a real positive message, Amen. But this is what God's doing. He's setting Israel up in this message. He comes in the first few verses there and he talks about the, the, the palmer worm and the canker worm and all the locusts and everything and how that they was going to come in and, and destroy everything. And then as we begin in verse number six, he says, For a nation has come up upon my land strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion, talking about Babylon. And he says, He hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. And this is where we stopped last time. As the situation is so grave and so shocking... That not only is he talking about the locusts, not only is he talking about Babylon, but he says there's coming a time that is going to be so shocking. It, 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 as you think about that, that virgin that's ready to get married and all of a sudden they walk in and says your husband's dead. And just all of her hopes and everything are dispelled. All of them are just done away. And he said this is the seriousness that I'm talking about. So he begins to go from this point and describe what we're going to be talking about tonight. He said in verse 9, the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priest, the Lord's ministers mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen. Howl, O ye vine dressers. For the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate tree, the, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. How, ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and for the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Father, help us tonight. 
as we look at these verses, that you'd stir our hearts. Help us to see what's ahead for this world and what's going on even in our midst. Lord, help us to take heed to your warning. Lord, that we might return to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse number 9, he says, The meat offering, the drink offering, is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. A meat offering was very important as, as they would sacrifice these to God. It was made up of flour and oil and frankincense, all of these things. In Leviticus twenty three thirteen, it says, And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour, mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of an hen. So you see all the things that make up this offering. The problem is, God said at this point, it's cut off. It's cut off. Now when you think about this, he's talking about the house of God. He's talking about worship. He's talking about the priests. And he says, this is what's going to happen. He says, you ministers better start mourning. Because there will be nothing even to make an offering with. It's cut off. There's nothing there to offer. They have nothing to sacrifice. The priests basically were out of a job. That was their job to offer the sacrifices daily in the temple and offer the burnt offerings and the, and the rams and all of the different things and the peace offerings and, and the sin offering and all this. But God says, they're not going to be anything to offer. Now, how did the priests live? They lived through the offerings that were given. They were taking part of the meat. They would take part of the other things that were offered. And that was basically their, their salary. That's how they maintained. That's how they lived. He said, you better start mourning because there's not going to be any offerings. There's nothing there to do. How in the world then could they approach God? There's no sin offering. You couldn't come before God and offer an offering for sin. So how are you going to get your sin forgiven? There's no way to make peace with God because there is no offering to offer. Nothing is available. It is all cut off. Basically, he's saying it's too late. Even when you were offering bullocks and rams that were, were, were substandard and not according to my, my requirements and things. He said, I even allowed that. I tolerated that. But he said, at this point, there's not even going to be anything that you can offer. He said, mourn. They were mourning now. But why not before? Have you ever noticed that we always wait until something touches our health or our bank account before 
we get involved before we start to mourn for our sin? And this is the way it is with Israel, with Judah here. He says, you, you haven't mourned when it was time to mourn. And now, when you decide, okay, it's time to mourn, I'm going to go ahead and mourn, there's not going to be a sacrifice. There's nothing you can offer me. It's too late. The priests end up standing there before God with empty hands. Now you stop and think. You're standing before Almighty God. That even His voice, the people of Israel ran away and said, If we even stay here and listen, we're going to die. We're talking about a holy, righteous, omnipotent God. And can you imagine standing there before that God with nothing? No offering that you can make, nothing you can give to him, just empty-handed. And that's what he's saying here. What, what can a human being offer God if God does not give him something to offer? In the words of David in, in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 14, he says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. As I was thinking about that offering we're going to take up for the Lord. We think we're sacrificing. We're, we're just giving God what he's given us. The tithe, we're just giving God what he's already given us. We're just doing what he's told us to do with it. We're just obedient. If we won't tithe, and surprising, most Christians don't. I think it's about 20% of Christianity that actually tithes. Now that may shock you, but after you've been in the ministry a while, you realize that's not, not a shock at all. You see, you've got to believe that God... Gives me everything. He gives me the sacrifice to make to him. He gives me the body to work so that I can work to make that money. He gives me the breath to breathe. He gives me everything in order to obey him. And when we don't tithe, we're saying, God, you don't know everything, and you don't know where I, where I need to spend this. You don't understand. No, God does. And that's what Judah was doing. I'm the one that has done this. I'm the one that has gotten this. I'm the one that is first in the worship, not you. It's all about me. That's what's happened in Christianity. It's all about entertaining the troops. That's why people, they'll switch churches because, they, you know, they, well, the music, uh, you know, I like this kind of music. Or, well, uh, you, 
no, wait a minute. It's not about us. But Judah thought it was all about them. And what you're seeing tonight is God is literally cutting them off. He said there is no worship. A lot of people say, well, man, if I had a million dollars, I'd tithe. No, you wouldn't. You don't tithe on the $100 you got. It's the same proportion. It's the same percentage. If you won't tithe on $100, you're not going to tithe on a million dollars. When we get in trouble and then we decide that we need to give something to God or that we need to get, get serious about these things, folks, what he's saying is there's going to come a time when it's too late. Isn't it something that we, we, we go ahead and we live our life the way we want to until we get sick and we have to go to the hospital? Then when we get in the hospital, oh God, and we'll make promises, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to serve you, God, we'll go to the mission field, we'll do anything you want us to do. But as soon as we get out of the hospital, we go right back to the way we're, look, God's sick and tired of this stuff. And that's what Judah was doing. And God is saying, it's too late. Because at this time, when I cut you off, when you cross over that deadline, he said, you don't have nothing to give. You have nothing to offer. There's no bargaining chips. There's nothing. In verse 10, he said, The field is wasted. The land mourneth. For the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. And the oil languisheth. He said, not only is there no worship, but he said, there's no provision. So I'm not giving you nothing. Notice, everything is gone here. Barren fields, the land is parched, it's dry, it's eroded, it won't produce. He said there's no corn, that means there's no flour, that means there's no bread, that means there's nothing for the animals to feed on. And what happens when the animals don't get fed? They die. And you have no sacrifice to give. God will start cutting off things that we never dreamed. Now watch this. He said, there's no wine. There's nothing to drink. There's no food to eat. There's no wine to drink. He said, there's no oil. Oil was a a medicine back then. When you have no oil, you have no medicine. The people will be feeble. They'll be, they'll be sick. They'll be weak. They'll be distraught. These things were, were an important part of Israel's life. That's why when the, the, the man was going down the road and he got beat up and everything and, and, and the, the neighbor came by and he picked him up. What'd he do? Luke chapter 10 verse 34 says, and he went to him. And bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. 
no medicine. Now, we go, go to the hospitals and the clinics and all this all the time. Can you imagine no medicine? No pharmacies. Nothing in the doctor's offices. No ibuprofen. No antibiotics. Nothing. He says, when I come to this point, he says, I'm not only cutting off your food, but he said, I'm cutting off the medicine as well. You have no wine, you have no oil for healing for the medical problems. Look in verse 11. He says, no, not only are we going to have no worship and, and no provision, but now he said there'll be no production in verse number 11. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen. Talking about farmers. Howl, O ye wine dressers. For the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The term ashamed here, it means to be put to shame, to be disconcerted, a combination kind of of disappointment and, and, and disgrace. Those that worked the land were disappointed. They were broken. That guilt, they haven't produced a crop, they... they they found out they can't do it without God. All their equipment, all of the, the, the good seed and all the hybrids that we have today and all the chemicals and all of that will produce nothing. No production. I remember, I'll never forget it, when I was a little kid, my dad was driving to Norway. That's not the country. That's in Kansas. That's where I grew up in Norway. Went to grade school in Norway. Just remember one thing. 10,000 Swedes ran through the Vides, chased by one Norwegian. And if you want to talk to me later, we'll find out. Amen. No. Dad was driving up to Norway about three and a half miles away from our house. And we farmed an area, and there was, it's called dry land. You don't have any irrigation out there. And it was about all oh, July, towards the end, end of July. And it was hot, and it was dry. And my dad was driving along the road there. It had a mile row. And, and, and he, he pulled the car off to the side of the road. And he sat there, and he just began to weep. I've never seen my daddy cry. Old hard farmer. And he just, just bawling like a baby. I didn't understand what, what's wrong. What's, what's... He said, look. And you, you could see the corn and the, and the leaves and everything had just turned and, and, and shriveling and just, he said, it's burning up. It won't produce a thing. Magnify that worldwide. Nothing will produce. You can't do it without God. 
Unless God puts his hand on it, it's not going to grow. And he's saying, all right, you farmers, howl, he says. It means wail, a deep mourning and distress. It's caused by, by sin. We've thumbed our nose in, in God's face long enough, and God says, that's it. I'm done. He said, you think you can make things grow? It's not going to happen. You think you can produce something? It's not going to work. And you end up having no production. He said, the farmer, that husbandman and vine dresser, they tried everything they could. They tried, but they fail. Their crops, their labor, all of it is lost. They have nothing to show for their work. They could do nothing without God, and that's what God is trying to show them. The priests, your sacrifice, your worship is cut off. Your fields, they're gone. Your production, it's over. From this point, you're not going to produce anything. They couldn't stop the locusts. They would not be able to stop Babylon. And they will not be able to stop God. And neither will we. In verse number 12. They've had no worship. No provision. No production. And now there's no joy. Wonder why? <laughs> he says, The vine is dried up and the fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. The vine is not a branch, they, they don't come back year after year. Even though the locusts would come in and they, they might eat some of the bark around the tree, the, the tree may be able to come back. The vine will not. It's done. But when they have barked the trees, even the trees will not come back. And notice he's talking about the fruit trees. Fruit always talks of sweetness. Fruit talks of joy. Fruit talks of peace. It's a blessing to have fruit. But he said, all those fruit trees are dead. There's no fruit. Fruitless. You can't produce fruit. May I ask you a question as a Christian? Now we've talked about the priest standing before God empty-handed. We are Christians, and according to John 15, we as Christians are supposed to be bearing fruit. And then he says, I want you to bear more fruit. And he said, I want you to bear much fruit, and I want your fruit to remain. Where is your fruit? When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Can you name one person that you've led to Jesus Christ? We're talking about Almighty God. We're talking about the judgment, and this is what he's talking about. He's going to judge people. And God says we are supposed to, just like these trees, we are to bear fruit. Where is your fruit? Fruitless. They could not, from this point, bear fruit anymore. It was too late. When you die, you're not going to bear no more fruit. We must bear fruit now. God did not give us this new building over there so we can just go and be comfortable. Now, that's part of it. Yes, we like to be comfortable. We like spread out a little bit, you know, have a little room to move around, have a nice big forward of fellowship so we don't pigeonhole back here in the tunnel. We like classes that are big enough we can get in there and have a good time and, and all this. And that's not what he's given us a building for. We need to fill that building up. How do you do that? By bearing fruit. We have got to be witnesses. We have got to bear fruit while it's time because there's going to come a time when God says in each one of our lives, that's it. I don't know when that line is. I don't know where that deadline is in my life or your life. But in what time that we have, we need to be fruit bearers. We need to start producing the fruit that God wants. Sin is costly. The sin that they have been enjoying and going through the religious motions and all of that in Judah has caught up with them. And God says now. And it's going to be a shock. It's going to be like that virgin that walked in and they say, you're... you're, you're Fiance's dead. It's going to be a shock. I was studying last night on the prophecy of getting ready for even next week already. And, and, and the, the fact that when, when he talks about the, the, uh, the things that are coming, he said, it's, it's no man knows the day nor the hour, but he said, it's going to be like a thief. Nobody knows when that thief comes. Nobody knows when that deadline is coming. What plans do we have this week of bearing fruit? If you don't plan your field and plan and buy the seed and, and have the implements and get everything ready and then go out and plant the field, it's not going to get done. Nothing's going to happen. We have to prepare there's no bread, there's no wine, there's no oil, there's no fruit. Life is miserable and without joy. 
God's trying to show Judah something here. That there's going to be total destruction. Like when the locusts invade. He uses the word because here. It's, the word because is used in various translations or, or translated most, mostly by context. It means therefore. And so you want to find out what, what it's there for. So the same thing here. He said, why is all this going on here? He says, because, therefore, joy is gone. Only sorrow, only misery will remain. Now let me ask you, at this point, you have no food, you have no production, you have no way, no, no worship, no nothing. Is God still good? Could you say that when you have nothing? It's easy to say it now. We need to know God in such a way that we can say God is good even when there is total destruction. The joy I see is lacking in so many Christians. They, there is no joy. You know, it, it's like they're suffering through life. Man, I'm not going to do it. I, there's more to life than, than, than complaining, you know. Now he gets to verse 13, and we'll run real fast here, I hope. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. Howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering, for the drink offering, is withholden from the house of your God. He said, the worst is yet to come. He didn't say the best is yet to come. That's what we always say. God says the worst is yet to come. Notice that God begins here with the priests. The ministers of my God, he says. 1 Peter 4, 17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? When you realize how God is going to, to seriously judge the believer, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of that that we've done in the body, whether it be good or bad. And knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men to become fruit bearers. I don't think we understand the terror of the Lord that we're going to stand before. But he said if judgment begins like that, on us. What's the rest of this community going to face? It's going to be horrible. We as a believer must acknowledge what sin is and how sinful sin is. We laugh and mock at sin anymore. Instead of recoil and, and, and it terrify us. Our testimony to the world is more than just words. They must see it. They must see that we fear God. And that we honor God. That's why I don't care if I'm sick, half dead. I want to be in the house of God. Why? Because I want those neighbors around my, my, my neighborhood to know that they, even they may know I'm sick. But I'm going to honor God and be in the house of God. 
Why? Because I fear my God. I love him and, and I know he loves me. But I'm going to stand before him one day. I'm going to stand before him and give an account of whether I've witnessed or not. Faithfulness to church, witnessing our walk, our daily walk. Do they see the fear of God in our life? Life revolves around God, not the family. Not work. Our life is to revolve around him. So what else can God do but show the world who he is by punishing us? That's exactly what he did to Israel. Israel forsook God and he said, I'm going to have to show the world. And he punishes Israel, takes them out of their land. Judah, listen up. Judah says, we're not listening. And God says, I'm going to have to show the world. That's what I, the whole thing, Ezekiel, 38 times he says that the world may know that I am God. So he punishes Israel so that the world might know that there is a God and he's not putting up with this stuff. And he's punished Judah here so that we as a church might know the seriousness of sin and that God, the one that we say we serve, needs to be feared and honored and respected. Notice he said, gird yourselves. In verse number 14 he says, sanctify a fast. The idea there is that of purity. Purify yourself. The priests had to be clean before they put on their, their garments and when they entered the temple. Now watch this. He, he says sanctify. This whole term of sanctify has become a dirty word in Baptist churches. When you talk about separation. It shouldn't be a dirty word. It's all the way through the scripture. With Joshua before the crossing of Jordan. He said in Joshua 3, 5, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. When they needed to find out where sin in the camp was, when Achan had stole the, from, from God, Joshua 7, 13, up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. It goes on to Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.15. Sanctify yourselves, wash your clothes. People say, oh, it don't make any difference how you worship God. Yes, it does. He said, wash your clothes and come not at your wives. Even before you meet God, he said, this thing of sexual relation, he said, we are to honor and fear God so much that they were even to stay away from their wives in sexual intercourse. God's serious about this. He said in the Christians, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify God in your hearts, ye double-minded. What's he say? Lament and howl, get serious. Godly sorrow, not a flippant little thing. Lie all night, he says. It's serious. In sackcloth and ashes. Why do we think that God expected them to do that and he doesn't expect us to do that? God says, I change not. In verse 14, sanctify ye fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Joel calls for repentance. Fast. Look, if we thought our condition was serious, we would start fasting. Do we really think we need revival? No. If we did, it wouldn't be a problem to fast and get serious. A solemn assembly, that's a special meeting. They were to get together as a, as a nation of Israel. They were to come together in the house of God and they were to cry out if we called a special meeting. Would you be there? Or would you say, well, I'm kind of tired, I'm going to stay home. Elders, the men of the church, the leadership. He said, call them. Then he goes on and he said, just so you don't feel left out, he said, all the inhabitants, every one of us, are to be in that assembly, into the house of the Lord, that church meeting, where we meet with God and cry unto the Lord. Now, you know, there's, I, I see people and they don't pray in public. I don't understand that. God didn't say just the leaders. God didn't just say the preacher, just a couple of folks will, will pray. He said, all of the inhabitants cry out to God. This is publicly. When we are serious, we're not worried about whether somebody thinks we, we say the, say the right words or not. I don't say the right words half the time, if you didn't notice. But I'm going to cry out to God. There's no excuse for not praying in public. You say, well, I'm, I'm kind of backwards. Well, get over it. God's here to change you. If you're serious about your sin, you're serious about your condition, you'll cry out to God. Why? Because he commands it. Learn how to pray in public. I, when I first got saved, I mean, I remember I, was, I had a prayer request and I'd run my hands clear down to my knees, man. I, I didn't know how to, I'd spit all over myself just trying to get a prayer request out. Well, God changes you. When you realize it's not who you are, it's who he is. 
And he wants it from the heart. I love it praying on Saturday morning with these guys. We just open up and, and just pray. Some are long, some are short. Doesn't make any difference. Crying out to God. That's what God wants. Hope. God's telling Judah that if they'll acknowledge their sinful condition and repent and come to God, showing true repentance, there's still hope. There's still hope. He says, I'll hear and I'll respond. What God's done is he's shown them what's ahead of them. And he said, now it's your choice. Judah made the wrong choice. Israel made the wrong choice. What's our choice? How serious do we think Christianity is? If you haven't looked around the world, we're in a mess. It's not because of Republicans and Democrats. It's because of sinners. And there's plenty on both sides. Sinners. And the only cure is Jesus Christ. We must get out there and tell people about Jesus Christ. Fruit. Bear fruit. While we have time. Father, thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you for giving Judah hope. That if they will come, they will meet, they will get serious. They'll come to the house of God. They'll cry out to you. They'll repent of their sins. You said you would respond and that you would forgive them of their sins and you would heal them. Oh God, help us. Help us to get serious about life and about Jesus Christ and knowing that those people all around us are going to go through what we can't even imagine. Lord, help us to be those witnesses that we need to be. While the pianist just begins to play, if God spoke into your heart, why don't you just step out and come? Just kneel down here at the altar. One day we will. We'll kneel before Jesus Christ, but it's going to be too late then. Would you come tonight? God, help me. Help me to be serious about this. Oh, Lord, that you would take my heart, my life, that you would make me that witness. Lord, that, that relation that I have, that, that friend, Lord, that you would work in my life. And Lord, that you would help me to win that person to Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. We have no idea what is ahead of us. Father, we can all do better, starting with me. God, break our hearts. Help us to learn from the book of Joel what you want in our lives, what you want to do 
in this church to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Oh God, won't you do something? wait for a few more minutes. We'll not hurry those that have come. We want them to do business with the Lord. That's more important than anything. Are you doing business with God where you sit? Are we comfortable? Are we just going to go through life just like we've been? Or are we going to let God change us? here to change us. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Won't you come? Problem at all. 